Have you ever noticed that when there is some type of catastrophe, whenever there's some type of natural disaster, that a reporter always shows up? You'll find the reporter like hunkered down in a bunker somewhere or in the waist deep flood waters, and they will be asking questions of the leader about what's going on or about some victim whose house is flooded. And as the reporter asks the question, you'll hear the answer. Well, we knew it was bad, but we never imagined it was this bad. I mean, we've seen storms before, but never anything like this. And in their answer, you kind of get the idea that they just weren't expecting this. They've seen something like this before, but they never imagined it would go this way. And so they simply weren't prepared for this. I mean, we're seeing that right now in our world, aren't we, with everything that's taking place in Afghanistan? We've heard that, haven't we? Oh, we knew it was bad, but we never imagined it would be like this, that it would happen this fast. And so the same thing can happen in our disciple-making efforts, can't it? That sometimes we had this idea, okay, I'm going to go and make disciples, but things don't unfold the way that we think they would. And so we never were expecting this. And when we're not expecting this, we're not prepared for this. We're not able to respond in these different scenarios. It's amazing this morning as we kind of dive in and continue our series, Disciples Making Disciples, what Paul prays for. Now, when you think of Paul, you think about this master disciple maker, a guy who's going from place to place, from person to person, planting churches, impacting people and what he prays for. Oh, well, we'll see that this morning. Let's go ahead and dive in. It's found in Colossians chapter four, verses two through six. Let's read it. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul is in jail. Again, if you follow the life and ministry of Paul, you'll notice that he winds up in jail in prison from time to time. It seems to be the way that God kind of uses and works in Paul's life to get him to slow down enough so that he will write a letter. Because as we said, Paul is the type who's bouncing from city to city, place to place, person to person, planting churches, impacting people, making disciples. You wouldn't think of Paul as someone who's just going to sit down at a desk and write out this rich theology. And so perhaps God chains him to a wall to get him to write. And he writes some of the richest, some of the most theology that we find in our New Testament. And so we read this morning uh, from Colossians as Paul is in prison and he's writing to the church in Colossae. And as he does, he writes some of the richest, some of the deepest, some of the thickest Christology that we find in all of scripture. I mean, as you read these chapters and Colossians is only four chapters long, but you can't really understand it, unpack it all in just four days. No, to really dive in and explore this, well, it's going to take more like four months, but as you do, your mind is just exploded with how big our God is with all that Jesus has done for us. In these chapters, Paul unravels for us who Jesus is, how he's revealed himself to humanity, and then how we ought to live 
in response to who Jesus is and how he's revealed ourself, himself. And so at the very end of this, Paul says, okay, based on all that, based on who Jesus is, how he's revealed, how you are to live, here's how you ought to pray. And that's what we're diving into this morning, how we ought to pray. It's very interesting, Paul's instruction on what uh, we ought to pray for. I mean, remember again, Paul is in prison. And so you would expect that Paul would be saying, okay, here's what I want you to be praying for. Pray that I'd be released from prison. I mean, pray that I can get out of here and I can go back on my missionary journeys and get back to the things that I love to be doing. But that's not what he says. You would think that maybe he'd say, hey, be praying for my defense team, give them wisdom and how they represent me, pray that I could afford a good lawyer, something along those lines. That's not what he's saying at all. Instead, he says, pray that the doors would be open. And when Paul says pray, what image comes to mind? I mean, what do you think of when he says pray here? Sometimes when we think of prayer, we just think, okay, pray for me. I'll just add a little line to the end of my bedtime prayer. And God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness to me. And God, would you bless Paul? Maybe you would think of a prayer, a little line that you add to a mealtime prayer. God, thank you for this food. Thank you for those who prepared it. And would you be with Paul as he's struggling in prison? Sometimes that's the way we think of prayer, this casual thing, and, and, and we think of it that way sometimes. You know, sometimes even in the church, and you're around this church culture, and you're in the middle of a conversation, you don't know how quite to escape the conversation, but you got somewhere else to be, and so your parting line is just kind of adding that cue is, hey, I'll be praying for you, and that's just cue for, hey, I've, I've got to go. Paul, this is not what he means. When he's writing about prayer, he's writing about this steadfast, devoted type of prayer. This is not some kind of casual thing, not some kind of add-on, not something, hey, if somebody tells you they're praying for you and you kind of wonder if they will be or they won't be, or even if they do, will it make any bit of difference at all? No, this is a type of prayer that is just hanging on and won't let go. This is the type of prayer of Jacob. You remember that prayer that Jacob had where he is wrestling with God all night long. And Jacob's saying, I am not letting you go until you bless me. This is what Jesus was talking about when he was telling the disciples about the persistent widow who kept going to the judge and pestering the judge day after day until the judge finally relented and said, okay, I'll rule the way you want me to rule. And Jesus told his disciples, that's the persistence that you ought to have when you're praying. Have you ever heard the story of Winston Churchill and how when he met with the German ambassador before World War II began? He asked the German ambassador, hey, do you know why English bulldogs have a flat nose? The German ambassador, he just looked at him and Churchill told him they have a, a flat nose so they can grab hold and not let go. They can continue to breathe. They can grab hold and not let go. This is the kind of prayer that Paul's talking about. He says, pray like this, where you're so devoted, you're so steadfast that you grab hold of God and you don't let go, that you plead with him, that you implore him, that you beg him. This is serious prayer. And what's it all about? Oh, it's not about being released from prison. It's not about some legal team. It's about doors for disciple making opportunities being opened. 
I mean, isn't that incredible? I mean, you would think, hey, I don't need to pray for this. You would think that Paul had kind of graduated to a position where, hey, he's just take, he's just making the doors open, right? That he's going to open the doors, that he knows how to relate to people. He's just going to find a way in. No, Paul understands, no, I need Jesus to open the door. See, you understand that Jesus has to open the door. Uh, you can't just barge in. Sometimes we think in disciple-making moments that we really control the moment. And that if we know, just have this script memorized, or we know just how to walk people through the Bible, once we know the Bible well enough and can, and can explain it with just precise terms enough, once we have the logic of it all down or a system ready to go, well, then we're able to make disciples. And Paul says, no, Jesus is working on the other end of this. I mean, Jesus is working in the heart of the other person. Their heart has to be ready. This is not a one-way street here. See, Jesus often talks about the soil in people's hearts. It's like a farmer. He's got to work the soil. It's got to be ready to receive the seed so that it can grow and sprout up to maturity. And Paul understands all this. And so he's praying, would the doors be open so that these disciple-making opportunities can take place? See, this implies that there are people, there are situations where the door isn't open. At least not for you. Maybe the door is going to be open for somebody else, but not for you. So pray. Pray that God would open doors. We think that we're in charge of the opportunities we're not. God's in charge of the opportunities. We pray for open doors. Sometimes the soil needs to be worked before the disciple-making process can really begin. And Paul teaches us that, hey, you got to wait. You got to wait for Jesus to open the door before true discipleship can really take place. You know what also Paul kind of reveals in this section? Is he saying, pray for open doors. He's in prison. He's not thinking about what's next or when I'm going to get, when is he going to be able to get out of there? He's, he, he has this assumption that God has placed him where he is for a purpose, that God has stationed him in that, in that prison for a purpose. And at the same time, he assumes that if he's been stationed in that prison for a purpose, that purpose is gospel related. He's been stationed where he is for a purpose, and that purpose is gospel related. Do you have that same conviction? I'm telling you, as I was kind of studying through the, this passage this week, I just had to confess over and over to God, I don't. This is not always my attitude. I, I don't always have this single-minded devotion, this holding on and not letting go, this pleading for doors to be open. Why? Because I'm looking at the next thing sometimes. And I'm thinking, well, what about, what about what's next? And what about this? And what about that? And living toward the future that I miss sometimes the present. Have you ever been there? You ever get stuck in a line or just you're playing this waiting game and you feel like you're just waiting forever? And what happens to me is I just, I just can't wait for this thing to be over. I mean, when, when, when is this going to be done? Has it ever occurred to you that maybe in that waiting game, that there's somebody there for you to talk to, somebody there for you to listen to, somebody there for you to encourage, that there's a disciple-making opportunity, that God has you stationed there, that God has slowed down your life enough for a purpose. And it's a gospel-related purpose. 
See, oftentimes there are doors that are being opened, but in the hecticness and the, in the craziness and the chaos of our lives, we miss some doors that are open because we're thinking about the next thing. We don't have this mind that Paul is demonstrating here where he is determined that he understands, hey, I am in this prison, but I am in this prison because God has stationed me here for a purpose. And that purpose is gospel related. See, that's Paul's assumption. It's not about Paul's comfort zone. It's not about my comfort zone. It's not about your comfort zone. It's not about life being convenient or things just kind of happening on our terms. Terms. It's about the gospel. It's about making disciples of Jesus and God in his authority and in his wisdom and in his goodness. It, he decides, hey, I want to slow your life down just enough here so that you can have a conversation so that you can encourage someone, so that you can be a listening ear. God will do that in your life. Pray for me, Paul says, that when God does open the door and that those doors would be open, that I would be able to communicate the mysteries of Christ. I'd be able to make disciples. This is what Paul is asking the church to pray for him. And then he moves on. He says, and as for you, you walk with wisdom as you relate to outsiders, making the best use of your time. Now, that sounds really good, right? We want to walk in wisdom with outsiders, but the question comes, how do we do that? You know, Paul actually answered that question in the earlier chapter. In chapter 3, verse 16, Paul said, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, giving you wisdom as you teach and admonish others. See, If you want to be able to walk with wisdom with outsiders, if you want to be able to live wise in a confusing world, you have to let the word of God richly dwell within you. I mean, you got to meditate on it. You got to linger in it. You got to study it. You got to, you got to just let it pour over your soul. And when that happens, this amazing thing takes place. You be, you begin to think the way Jesus thinks. You begin to see people in situations the way that Jesus sees people and the way he sees situations. Your mind is conformed, not to the thinking of this world, but to the thinking of God. You begin to take on the mind of Christ, as Paul would say elsewhere. And so this is what it means to be able to walk in wisdom with the world. The only way to do that is to allow God's word to just pour over you. And then you begin to respond the way Jesus responds. And when God's word richly dwells within you, well, then you're you're able to recognize when the doors are open, when those gospel opportunities present themselves and you're able to form relationships and make these disciples who they themselves are able to make disciples. And if the door doesn't open, well, you're prepared for the moment when it does. And so Paul writes, he says, you make sure that your words are full of grace and seasoned with salt. They always have a dash of salt in them. Now, this doesn't mean that you talk salty with your friends. What it does mean is that salt is this catalyst. Okay, just the right amount of salt really reveals and brings out whatever the nature of the thing is. All right. So for instance, you add just the right amount of salt when you're cooking and you add just the right amount of salt to a tomato. Well, it makes the tomato more tomatoey. 
You add just the amount of salt, just the right amount of salt to a chocolate chip cookie, and it makes that chocolate chip cookie a little more chocolate chippery. You know, it brings out, it reveals what's already going on and just kind of brings it out. That's what a catalyst does. It reveals. That's what salt does. And so Paul is saying, hey, you listen to the conversations. You listen to what's going on, what's being said, and then you're able to have the wisdom, the understanding of what they're really talking about. You know, sometimes you'll hear people complaining about something, but what they're complaining about is really just a symptom of some kind of deeper issue that's going on in their life. But as you seize in your conversation with Saul, as you walk in wisdom, you're able to kind of understand the deeper issue that's taking place. So you have the wisdom to be able to listen to the conversations that's taking place in our culture, that's taking place in our society. And you'll hear the questions of identity. Who am I? You'll hear the questions of, of purpose. Like, what, what am I made for? What am I supposed to do? You'll hear the questions of hope. Does all this really matter anyway? You'll hear these questions, and then you're able to season your conversation with salt. You're able to add just the right amount to be this catalyst that helps reveal a deeper issue that's taking place. And largely you'll do that by asking questions. You'll just ask questions and, hey, what do you, well, what do you think about that? Tell me a little more. And then they'll begin to speak and then they'll turn it to you. Well, what do you think? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. And you'll be able to jump in. This, this is how it works. You be the catalyst that reveals the deeper issues. And when you recognize what's being asked, the real issue, the root issue, well, it opens doors. You'll add a little salt to the conversation. You know, we want to make sure here at Central that you are ready to have those conversations, that you never are caught off guard, that you never say, well, I wasn't expecting anything like this. I never thought it would go quite like this. But that you're ready, sometimes even ready for the unexpected, for, for it to be, for it to happen, this disciple-making relationship in a way that you never thought it would happen. And so one of the ways that we like to do that to kind of help everybody prepare is by getting people in impact groups. And I know during COVID, things are a little bit different. But if you're able, we'd sure love for you to be able to get with other people and just build these deep, authentic friendships where you're able to be challenged by other people and be encouraged by other people, be prayed for by others and be held accountable. And at the same time, you'll be there and you'll be challenging and you'll be encouraging. You'll be praying. You'll be loving. You'll do all those things for others as well. See, it's in the context of impact groups where we're really able to ask questions, to be able to sharpen our skills, to be able to build some relationships and to find some people, as we've talked about before, to really go and do ministry together. Because when we try to do it alone, oftentimes, well, we get too busy, we fail, we stop. At the same time, another way we like to prepare is by just volunteering in some capacity here within the church family. Because by volunteering here, we understand what our gifts are and we get to sharpen our skills and our passions. We get to see how God kind of uses us best and reveals those areas. And so again, I know things are a little bit different right now, but if you're able to get involved in any way, we'd sure love for you to get involved. And we actually are calling this Sunday Involved Sunday, where we're just taking a step back and we're looking and we're asking the question. 
am I involved? And if so, where? Or where would I be interested in being involved? You know, you can go on our digital communication card and you can kind of tell us where you'd be interested in being involved. You're not committing to anything. You're not signing on any kind of dotted line. All you are is saying, hey, could you give me a little more information? I'd be curious to know if perhaps I could serve in this capacity. So those are some of the ways that we really want to help you grow into a place where you're going to be able to recognize those, those doors when they open. And doors open for all of us. You know, I remember taking uh, trips to rural Montana, and there was one guy, I'm always looking as we would head over there, I was always looking for some guys who were really handy, who could build stuff and lead our service projects. And there's one guy, and I recruited him. He's a great guy, and he was really handy, could really build stuff. But he didn't really think of himself as a disciple maker. But we got him over to rural Montana, and his gifts came alive. You know, he wasn't a delegator. He just he saw a job, and he would do it, and he would t- take it on. And anyway, through doing that and just kind of showcasing his expertise, he's able to build a relationship with the facility manager of the schools over there. And from this relationship, he's able to invite him to the barbecues at the park and introduce him to Jesus. More than that, as he's using his gifts in that setting, we always had town moms who kind of looked after the needs for the students. Well, he, in effect, became the town dad. I mean, the students looked up to him when there was some kind of an issue or things as well. He really came alive. And then that transitioned back to his other job sites as well. He was in his element. And that's what we want to do. We want to find out where, where is your element? Where do you really come alive? Where, where, who are the people that you're really going to be able to impact, where those doors are really going to be open? You know, sometimes in the Christian life, uh, we need a little bit of a wake-up call of sorts. One of the wake-up calls that we experience is the fact that Christianity at its core is all about disciple-making. I mean, this is the purpose of our salvation that we see revealed throughout the scripture. We talked about it last week as Peter wrote, hey, you have been saved so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who freed you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I mean, this is the purpose of our salvation. Paul would write to do good works. And what are those good works? Well, they're impacting people. They're going and making disciples, as Jesus would say. However, we can fall into a malaise sometimes where this is not practice, where we fail to see the church as this persuasive and expansive missionary uh, focused uh, people. And instead, we kind of shrink back. And when we do, we exchange a king who says, go make disciples for a king who says, sit and learn. And when we do that, we lose the passion to see people look and live like Jesus. And And when we lose the passion to see people look and live like Jesus, to actually make disciples, well, in the process, we lose Jesus. Because this is what a relationship with him is about. I mean, this is who he creates us to be. This is who he's shaping us to be. This is how he's conforming our mind, that we would live this reality, our true identity. Little by little, our whole orientation shifts away. We shift 
inward. We focus on our likes, our preferences, our wants, instead of having the mind that Paul had, the mind of Christ, where we look, no matter where we're stationed, no matter if we like the situation or not, whether it's convenient and in our comfort zone, or if it's way outside the box for us, we look and we say, God has stationed me here. Wherever it is, I live, work, study, and play for a purpose, and that purpose is gospel-related. You know, this week, the Lord is going to open some doors for you. He does every week. There's doors that are always being opened. He never just has us quarantined off. Why? He saved us for a purpose. And this week, the Lord is going to open some doors for you. Are you going to recognize it? Are you going to walk through them? Are you going to engage these relationships? Or will you miss it? Because you weren't expecting it to look quite like that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who opens doors. And God, we plead with you, we implore you, we're hanging on to you, that you would open doors this week, doors for disciple-making opportunities. And God, may we walk through them with words that are full of grace, seasoned with salt, to be able to make disciples who look and live like Jesus. We recognize we need your help to do this. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.